You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Jeremiah 32 in your Bibles, and uh, I am, I'm fired up tonight. I'm fired up about this lesson. I'm still fired up about our uh, winning side broadcast today. We got talking about the book of Daniel, and uh, we got talking about all the beasts in Daniel 7. Has anybody, and if you haven't been, it's okay. Anybody been listening this week to the winning side broadcast? Okay, we got a few. All right. Uh, it's at noon. And so you, you have to multitask. You know, you have to try to eat and listen. Or some of you don't get a lunch break, so you're working. But, um, or what? Or 6 p.m., that's true. You can do the replay at 6 o'clock in the evening after work. Or if you're like me and you get easily distracted, you listen both times. So if you listen both, then maybe you'll get all of it. You know, by listening twice, you'll get it all once. But we're talking about the beasts, and I got uh, talking about them today in Daniel 7, and there's some, there's some pretty hideous creatures described. There's a, a lion with the wings of an eagle, and then there's a bear that has three ribs between its teeth, and it's kind of raised up on one side, and it's talking about the medial Persian Empire, and the lion with the wings of an eagle is Babylonian. And then there is the leopard with four wings and four heads that represented the Grecian Empire and Alexander the Great. And he had four generals that, uh, that divided the kingdom uh, after his death. And then you get to the, the last beast there. It's the beast that is terrible and dreadful. And that beast has ten horns. And out of those horns, eventually there comes a little horn, which is the Antichrist that we, uh, we know about from Daniel and Revelation, the Antichrist that comes on the scene and and boy, you talk about all those beasts. But then something great happens. The Bible says that all of this was going on until the ancient of days, until God himself showed up and God set aside all the thrones of the world and all the kings of this world and God was on the throne. And I mentioned in the broadcast today that those beasts were no match for the Lamb of God and the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And you know, everything's going to be a-okay because we are on the winning side. We have God's promise uh, that in the end, we know that we are victorious through Jesus Christ. And so I'm still fired up about that. And now here we are in Jeremiah 32. We covered two weeks ago in this chapter that Jeremiah was persecuted and he was put in prison, Jeremiah 32. And then we said that he was commanded by God to purchase property. You remember that from two weeks ago? And what was strange is that Jeremiah did not have uh, insider information that told him that this property was getting ready to go up. Because as a matter of fact, it was getting ready to go down. Because the Babylonians were coming to take over. And besides all that, Jeremiah was in prison. He was not in a good place to be able to take care of property. But God told him to. Then we said uh, two weeks ago that Jeremiah claimed the promises of God. And he bought the property because God told him to do it. And God said, one of these days, this land is going to be inhabited again. 
and houses are going to be sold and land is going to be sold and I am going to bring back my people from captivity. And so he claimed God's promise. He said, I believe God. Then notice Jeremiah 32 in verse 16. Now, when I had delivered the evidence of the purchase unto Barak, the son of Neriah, I prayed unto the Lord. And we said, you know, that, that sounds so simple, sounds so elementary, but so many times as Christians, we talk about prayer and we hear about prayer and we read about prayer and we have prayer meetings and prayer lists and prayer journals and prayer this and prayer that. But if we have all those things and we don't pray, can I tell you, we're not accomplishing anything. Uh, that's like, maybe you have someone like this at work, but that's like you sit around the, the water cooler all day and you sit around the break room all day and you talk about how we ought to do this and we're going to do this and somebody needs to do this and nobody does anything. Well, until we start praying, we're really not doing anything because prayer is what moves the hand of God. Prayer is what accomplishes the eternal. And we said that Jeremiah prayed. Then notice with me, we'll get into it tonight, beginning in verse number uh, 17. It says, Ah, Lord God, here's Jeremiah's prayer. Behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and by thy stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. Notice this, the great the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name, great in counsel and mighty in work for thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Lord, I pray you'd speak to us tonight as we look at your word. I pray that you would help us not to miss these truths from this uh, passage in Jeremiah that, that shows us a man who was willing to trust you and a man who was in prison, but yet he never lost sight of the power of Almighty God. And he never lost confidence in the promises that you made, that you said that you would do. And Jeremiah believed it. Lord, help us to have that same kind of faith. Help us to have that same confidence in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice as we continue from two weeks ago, uh, not only the first four points of the outline, but I want you to notice number five, Jeremiah saw God's power. It says in verse 17, he says that by thy great power uh, and stretched out arm, he said that you have created, you've made the heaven and the earth and there is nothing too hard for thee. He saw, he believed in the power of God. Friend, I want to tell you this, that I believe in the power of God. You know why I believe it? Not just because I read about it in a book, not just because I heard a story, but I have seen God do things that only God could do. I, I've seen it. I've experienced it. My wife and I will talk from time to, well, we talk often, but we'll talk about this from time to time. But, but we, we're, we're just amazed. We're amazed at what God has done in our lives. And we're amazed at what God has done in, in this church. And we're amazed at what God has done. And only God could do it. But sometimes we lose sight of the power of God because like Jeremiah, we find ourselves in a prison. And it doesn't seem possible because we think 
Well, if God really had great power, then he'd get us out of this situation right now. But Jeremiah had the ability while he was in prison to still recognize the power of God. He talks about the power of God in creation. Can I tell you, we just, we, we, it's old hat sometimes, and it just becomes commonplace that God created the heavens and the earth. He did it all. He made it all out of nothing. He spoke the world into existence. Can I tell you, that is amazing. I was reading uh, this week, I was reading about building projects. And by the way, we're not planning on starting any building projects here, so don't get nervous. But I was reading about building projects. And I was reading about the average time that it takes to build a house. And I was reading about that. And they say, obviously, it just it really just depends. But they did say, and this was I thought this was amazing, they did say that there is a Guinness Book of World Records uh, uh, entry that is held. This was, I think, accomplished just a few years back. But in the state of Alabama, they got contractors together. They got sponsors together. Uh, they got builders together. They got electricians together. And they practiced for weeks because they wanted to set the world record for building a house in the least amount of time. When I read that, my initial thought was maybe three weeks, maybe two weeks. That was my initial thought. And as I continued to read, I discovered that it wasn't weeks. It was less. It wasn't one week. It was less than one week. It was not even an entire day that it took to build a 1,300 square foot home with three bedrooms and two bathrooms. The world record, are you ready for this? Three hours, 26 minutes, and 34 seconds to build a house. Now, obviously, some of those pieces had already been done off-site, but nonetheless, the walls had to go up, the house had to be painted, the carpet had to be laid, the electrical had to be run, all of that had to be done, and in order to do that, they had practiced for weeks and staged it so that there were, there were dozens and dozens of people working at the same time, but they were all synchronized. It, it was, there was not a second wasted. Uh, they had a crane that was already there ready, and they put the roof on. But, of course, they had to attach, and then they had to get the final inspection. And the building inspector had to come and say, this house is ready to be occupied, and that sealed it, that they broke the record, and they uh, earned that award. Now, there was a project manager. This project manager said, after building this house in three hours, he said, I have been responsible for projects of $20 million. He said, I've built shopping centers. I've done all kinds of projects. He said, none of those projects were as bad a headache as this project right here. He said, this was insane. But three hours to build a house, that's unusual. I think we all know that. To build a house, you're talking months or, or longer. Uh, to build a church building. Some of you have been a part of church buildings. 
And you know how that goes, especially if you're counting on volunteers or you're counting on that. Those projects can go months and sometimes years. Maybe you've got a project at home you're working on. And that project at home uh, is, is, is turning into years and, and getting close to decades and all that. I mean, it can take a long time. But here's what I'm saying. In our ability, we can build a house. We can build a, a skyscraper. In our ability, uh, we can build something that we might be impressed with. But the God of the universe created everything. This planet, the other planets, our solar system, the other solar systems, uh, the moon, the stars, the sun. God created everything by speaking the worlds into existence. That's a powerful God. And Jeremiah was able to say, I may be in prison, but if God could create the universe, God's able to get me out of prison. God's able to take care of my needs. And because I'm still in prison, it must be that that's where God wants me to be right now. But Jeremiah said, I have seen and I have experienced the power of God. Notice verse 17. He says to God, he says, and there is nothing too hard for thee. I want you to look down with me at verse 27. And I'd like for you to read this verse with me. Let's read it in unison. Verse 27, are you ready? Begin. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Let's try it one more time. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? In verse 17, Jeremiah is speaking. And he says, God, there's nothing too hard for you. And in verse 27, God is speaking and he says, Jeremiah, you're absolutely right. I am God and there is nothing that is too hard for me. Can I tell you, it's one thing when Jeremiah says it, and I believe it because he's a prophet and he's a man of God. It's one thing for Jeremiah to say it, but when God says it, you can mark it down. It's like this. Well, Joanna and I will have to do this from time to time. We're tied up with something and we'll say to uh, Lacey, Lacey, uh, go tell Chloe that mommy and daddy said such and such. Well, it's amazing, but that doesn't always carry the same weight as mommy or daddy going and in person saying to Chloe, Chloe, do such and such. Now, Chloe should listen when there's a message that comes from somebody else that says, mommy or daddy said, but it's not always the same impact, if you know what I mean. Well, I think you ought to believe Jeremiah because obviously this book is inspired by God. But just in case you had your doubts about what Jeremiah was saying, I want to tell you, God answered verse 27 and he said, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. And he said, is there anything too hard for me? I got an answer for you. There's nothing too hard for God. There is nothing that is impossible with God. Jeremiah saw God's power. God spoke the worlds and it created the worlds out of nothing. He spoke and it was so. He said, let there be light and there was light. Notice verse number 18. Not only God's power in creation, but we see God's love and mercy. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. 
I'm amazed that a God who is all-powerful would also be loving and merciful and kind. Can I tell you, if you had that kind of power, if I had that kind of power, I don't think we'd be so gracious. I think we would want to prove our power and prove our strength and say, oh yeah, you want to talk back to me? Well, watch this. But aren't you glad that God is loving and he's kind and he's merciful and he's gracious? It says that he is great. He is the mighty God, the Lord of hosts. Verse 19, he is great in counsel and mighty in work. You need some counsel. You need some advice. You need some wisdom. I'll tell you the best book you can read. It's this book right here because God has wisdom and he makes it available to us if we will read his word, if we will ask him for it. It says in verse 19, thine eyes are open. God sees and God knows everything. It says that he is able to recompense. He's able to give everyone according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. He is able to keep track of everything that happens. God keeps track of everything you say, everything you do, everything you think, and he does it for every person in the universe. Now, how many of you just have a hard time keeping track of, of yourself? Does anybody else have trouble with that sometimes? And of course, you know how it is. Children, they never forget what you say. If you said eight months ago that on April the 9th, we're going to cook out to get a milkshake, they'll remember that eight months later, right? And you're thinking, I don't even know what I said yesterday. But God, in his omniscience and in his wisdom, he is able to, to see and to know everything that ever takes place. That's amazing. Verse 20, his signs and wonders in Egypt, the plagues that he, that he performed upon the Egyptians, and, and Jeremiah reminds the people of what God did there. But then it says in verse 21 that God brought forth his people, Israel, out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders and with a strong hand and with a stretched out arm and with great terror. And notice verse 22 and hast given them this land, which thou didst swear to their fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. So God gave them the land that he promised them. The Bible word here, that he swore unto them. That word has the idea of making an oath. Many times when someone would swear uh, or, 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 or make an oath, they would repeat it seven times just so there was no mistake what they were saying, they meant it. And God swore, he made an oath, he promised the people, he said, I'm gonna give you this land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. But verse 23, it says, they came in and possessed it, but they obeyed not thy voice, neither walked in thy law. That kind of sounds like us sometimes, doesn't it? God blesses us. He gives us something that he said, hey, I want to bless you. I want to give you this. And God blesses us. And then we get in and we think, I don't have to listen to God. I don't have to do what the Bible says. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to pray. I don't have to read my Bible. Hey, I'm doing good. Well, I got a newsflash for you. If you are doing good, it's all because of God's blessing. 
You say, well, no, I got this job because I worked for it. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm not that smart, but how'd you get the strength to go to work? And who gave you the, who gave you the heart that's beating inside your body? And who gave you the air that you're breathing to get there? And who gave you the, the mind? And who gave you the, the energy to do those jobs that you do? It's all because of God. And they possessed the land. They got in and then they didn't obey God. They didn't walk in his law and they did nothing of all that God commanded them to do. Therefore, thou hast caused all this evil to come upon them. Jeremiah said, that's why we're in the mess we're in right now, getting ready to go into captivity because God blessed us with this promised land and we stopped listening to God. We stopped obeying God. We didn't need God anymore. Verse number 24, behold the mounts. The mounts were the, the mounds that the enemy would set up when they were getting ready to, to lay siege to a city. And Jeremiah said, hey, they're already getting ready. And they're coming to the city to take it. And the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans that fight against it because of the sword and the famine, the pestilence. And what thou hast spoken is come to pass. And behold, thou seest it. He said, now God, they're coming. They're, they're about ready to take the city. In verse 25, Jeremiah said, And thou hast said unto me, O Lord God, uh, buy thee the field for money and take witnesses, for the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. He said, No, God, I want to remind you, we're getting ready to lose the city. We're getting ready to go into captivity, but you're the one that told me to buy that property, God. Now, remember, that was your idea, God. I'm, I'm just doing what you said. And then verse 27, verse 26 and 27, God speaks. You know what he says to Jeremiah? He says, don't you worry about a thing. He says, I am the Lord. I am in charge. There is nothing that is too hard for me. Verse 28, uh, therefore thus saith the Lord, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it. Verse 29, the Chaldeans that fight against this city and come and set on, uh, on fire this city and burn it with the houses upon whose roofs they have offered incense unto Baal and poured out drink offerings unto other gods to provoke me to anger. Now, hang on. First of all, if, if we were in charge, we would say, once we give the city over to the Chaldeans, we may have a hard time getting it back. You know what I mean? Once we give up this, this control we may not get control back. God's not worried about that. Uh, did you know that God was saying, I'm giving the city to the Chaldeans, and when I'm ready, I'm gonna take it back. It's, it's no problem with God. God's not losing sleep. You know, I'll say this about our country. No matter how far gone our country is, or no matter how bad it seems to be, if God is in control, and I believe he is, then I believe that God can still turn this nation around. I'm not saying he's going to. I believe he can. I'm praying he will, but I'm saying he's able. I think you understand that. And so God said, I'm giving it into their hand, but as easy as, easy as I give it, I can take it back. God's in control. But then he said this, they're going to burn the city and they're going to burn the houses. But notice why they're burning the houses. What were these people doing on their rooftops? The Bible says that they were offering incense unto Baal. They were pouring out drink offerings unto other gods to provoke me to anger, verse 29 says. 
Verse 30, for the children of Israel and the children of Judah have only done evil before me from their youth. For the children of Israel have only provoked me to anger with the work of their hands, saith the Lord. For this city hath been to me a provocation of mine anger and of my fury from the day that they built it, even unto this day, that I should remove it from before my face. God said, I'm so sick of the sin I'm so sick of the wickedness. He said, I don't even want to see it anymore. And he said, because in your homes, you've been burning incense to Baal. You've been offering uh, offerings to false gods. Now, friend, I want to tell you, I understand this is Judah he's talking about here, but I hope there's not any of that kind of stuff going on in our homes. You say, oh, don't worry, pastor. We're not burning any incense. Well, I hope not. Uh, unless it's, you know, a Yankee candle or something like that, right? Or whatever the, the, the brands are. But I hope there's not stuff going on in our homes that would provoke God to anger. I hope there's not a lot of wickedness and filth and, 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 and dirty movies and, and bad language and a bunch of wicked uh, music that's being played and a bunch of uh, bitterness and a bunch of gossip and a bunch of, uh, a bunch of anger in our homes that God would look at and say, that kind of stuff shouldn't be going on in the homes of my people. I'm telling you, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you what God said about his people in Judah, and I'm saying we should probably learn from that example. I'm not saying that the enemy's coming to destroy your home because of it, but I am saying this, God hates sin. And whether it's in your house or whether it's in my house, doesn't matter whose house it's in. Our houses ought to be clean and our houses should be holy. Verse number 32, again, God was provoked to anger. It says it was their kings and their princes and their priests and their prophets and the men of Judah and the inhabitants. They were all guilty from the priest to the common person. They had all sinned. Verse 33, they've turned unto me the back and not the face. We have a child. I won't tell you which one, but we have a child who when you're talking to the child, and it's not Micah, I will give you that much a hint, but we have a child that when you're having to correct that child, that child doesn't like to look at you, that child likes to kind of turn away, and uh, children shouldn't do that, but God's people shouldn't do that either. When God speaks, we ought to have our attention on Him, and we ought to say, Lord, speak to me. I, 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 know, I know my feelings are going to be hurt, but I need my feelings hurt because I need to get right with you. I don't want to turn my back to you and I don't want to become stubborn and I don't want to become rebellious, but God, I want to listen when you're talking to me. Verse number 34. This is an amazing verse. It says they set their abominations in the house. You say, are we still talking about the homes of the people? No. It says, they set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name. That's the temple. That's the house of God. And they were guilty of abominations, that which made God sick, that which literally made God want to vomit. That's what they were doing in the church. And God said they were defiling the house of God. Now, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you one thing. That's why not every church, that's not like this for every, every church, but that's why I believe some churches do not exist. I think it gets to a point where God says, they're not serving me. 
they're not worshiping me. God says, if that's the way you want it, you're on your own. And may God help us to never allow this place to come to a, a, a point where what we're doing in this house is defiling it and what we're doing is an abomination to God. We're trying to worship God here. We want to please God. Everything we do in this place ought to be for His honor and for His glory. But the children of Israel came to a point where the house of God was no longer holy and sacred. It was wicked and it was an abomination. We have in our church and we... we talk about this in our workers' meetings, and we talk about it for the choir and the special music and Sunday school teachers and all that. Uh, but we have some guidelines because we want this place to be holy. Um, can I tell you this? Whenever we have a, 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 a funeral service or whenever we have a wedding or something like that in this auditorium, can I tell you, we want it to be right. We don't want the world coming into here. We don't want anything that's going to be uh, an abomination to God. We don't want uh, uh, the, the, the devil to be getting glory in this place. We want God to get the glory in this place. And can I tell you, we do all we can to try to keep things right in this place. But it's not just the things that are open. You, you, see, you see, if you come into a service and you see what goes on in the service, and that needs to be right. But can I tell you what else needs to be right? Our hearts, our lives, our motives. Um, can I tell you, it's not, to me, it's not enough that we come into this place and, and we look good and we have the right smile and we have the right lingo and we, we try to impress a lot of people and we make everybody think that we're the greatest thing since peanut butter and then we're out living like the devil. Can I tell you, that is an abomination to God. And that's why God's people need to be holy and God's people need to be holy uh, on the outside, but God's people need to be holy on the inside. God's people knew better than this. Verse number 35, it says, And they built high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire unto Molech, which I commanded them not. God said, I didn't command that. Neither came it into my mind. God said, and I know God knows everything, and I know God knows the beginning from the end, but God says, I couldn't even fathom that my people would do this to literally take their own children and to cause them to walk through the fire as a human sacrifice for the God of Molech. And I know what we, I know what we do. We look at those people and say, how in the world could we do that? Can I tell you, we better be careful that we're not sacrificing our children on the altars of this world, and we better make sure that we're not allowing our children uh, to go to the devil, and we better make sure that we do all we can to train up our children and love our children. You say, but what happens if they go a different way? If they go a different way, that's between them and the Lord. But may God help us to do all that we can to love them and to pray for them and to teach them and to instruct them. These were children that against their will and against their choice, they were given over to the false gods as sacrifices. We see that the people, number six, they provoked God to anger. Number seven, we see God's problem with his people. There were the high places of Baal. In verse number 36, God said that this city was going to be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. 
God said, the king of Babylon is not taking this city from me. He said, I am handing it over because this city and these people have provoked me to anger and these people have gone so far in uh, performing abominations against me. We see number seven, God's problem with his people. But then I want you to notice quickly, number eight, God said that he would protect his people. Now, he just got done saying he's going to judge them. But notice what it says in verse 37. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries, whither I have driven them in mine anger. God said, I've driven them out in my anger. But he said, I'm going to gather them. And verse 37, I will bring them again unto this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. After what these people have done, you would think God would say, get out and don't ever come back. But that's not the way God operates. He says, I'm going to punish you, but I still love you, and I'm going to bring you back. Number eight, God said he would protect his people. God said that he would be their God and they would be his people. God said, if you're not ashamed of me, I am not ashamed of you. Hallelujah for a God who says, I identify with you. And I'll tell you this, I hope that we'll identify with him. I hope you're not ashamed to be called a Christian. I hope you're not ashamed to claim the name of Jesus. And I'm thankful that God would say, I'll let you be my people and I will be your God. Verse 39, he says, I'll give them one heart. Verse 39, in one way, that they may fear me forever for the good of them and for their children after them. I hope this is our prayer. God, would you give us one heart? Would you help us to be on the same page? Would you help us to be on the page of doing what's right and pleasing you? And would you help us to have one way? Lord, keep our direction right. And Lord, would you help us to fear you and have a proper reverence and a proper respect for you forever. And notice why, verse 39, for the good of them and of their children after them. You know what happens when you serve God and you do what's right and you let God work in your heart? God says, I'm going to take care of you. It'll be for your good. It'll be for the good of your children. When you and I do what is right, God always promises that he will take care of us. He always promises that it will be for our good and it will be for his glory. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.